I'd never really done a, anything like this. You know, you're always looking to try and do something different to what you've done before. But um, I suppose I, I, I never really had such a, a, a thing about zombie movies or, you know, I think there's only a couple of zombie movies I actually enjoyed. Um, but I thought the script was interesting in that it was a different sort of slant on it in that there was a kind of, you know, an infection that's taken over people's nervous systems and taken over their kind of bodies. And a lot of the themes of the film felt to me like, you know, it spoke to me about the sort of fragility of human beings and the fact that we, we run this planet so we think, but the planet will survive quite happily without our existence. Everybody, welcome to Spooktober season of Not a Bomb Podcast. Brad, probably our favorite month of the entire year. I was just thinking about that. I think Spooktober gets me going, Troy. Yeah, I'm I'm with you 100. So, uh, for those who are just joining the show for the first time, this is a podcast where we go back and talk about movies that bombed at the theaters, or maybe the the critics just gave a really low score. Uh, this is unique because typically Brad and I, you know, we we take recommendations that we get from listeners, movies that we want to talk about, put it on a list, and then go through and pick it. We did something different this month. You want to just give everybody a just an overview of what we did? Yeah. So we we elicit uh, some suggestions from our listeners, and we got a ton of great movies to review for this month. So we put them on a magical random spinning wheel and we picked five films and listener Tom H suggested the girl with all the gifts, which is what we will be reviewing tonight. Yes. We're kicking off Spooktober with this film from 2016. Before we talk about this movie, um, you and I obviously are, are big fans of this genre. Mm -hmm. So real quick, um, a lot of our friends and uh, even listeners that we interact with, they, you know, October's a big deal, especially for movies. And you see people doing these like, oh, I'm going to do 31 Days of Horror, mm -hmm. or here are the movies that, you know, I've been sitting on because I'm going to watch them in October. Are, are you doing anything like that? Are you, are you trying to watch a horror movie a day this month? My wife and I put together a spreadsheet oh, of, <laughs> of stuff that we want to see. <laughs> Uh, we already knocked one out. It's the no one can hear or no one can save you. The net, the Hulu movie. Oh, the is it UF alien home invasion or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it had, so I have some series that I go to pretty normally scream Friday, the 13th, 
for some reason, Final Destination is on there too. I, I don't know why. I think it's a fun series. But we decided this month that we were going to rewatch um, Nightmare on Elm Street. So that oh, is kind okay. of our big our big to do for October this year because I really like the first one, and then I have a hard time distinguishing the ones after that. To be perfectly honest with you, so I'm trying to go back in in. Um, revisit those because it's been a while since I had seen some of those and some of them are really bad. Uh, but I just need to rewatch them because I, I need to. Okay. Do you have any films? So it, that's the series that you're going to tackle this month. Yeah. Are, are there a list of films that you go, Hey, look, every Halloween season we're watching these. We have to watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original for my wife. Oh, that's her favorite, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. We all, we either do conjuring or insidious every year and we do the shining and we do the exorcist and what is the other one that we do can't remember but those four are kind of the the big ones for us are you are you doing the exorcist 4k i am yes because i just i just got it so i haven't busted it open yet yeah that's one of the ones we end up uh, against my will watching every month and i gotta tell you i got that uh, steel book from best buy uh-huh. I, I can't even look at the, the the cover of that thing. I had to go hide it in the basement because um, it's just too scary for me. The the non steelbook cover art is some of the worst I've ever seen. Exorcist has maybe the most iconic cover of all horror films, and they changed it up, and it pisses me off. Yeah, it was. I'm actually upset about it. The the steelbook is is pretty spooky. Um, okay, so of the films we watch every year. Uh, we watched Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yep. Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Uh, we also watch Young Frankenstein and The Thing from Another World. We do watch The Exorcist. I, I think those are the regular rotations every year. We we do sort of the the horror comedy stuff, and yeah. especially you know the actual Halloween because I think it's this year's on a Tuesday or Wednesday. It's in the middle of the week, right? Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll always put on. Um, Young Frankenstein and and the thing from another world. So, um, as as far as series, I've been sitting on a lot of movies that I've been waiting to watch for October. So I don't know if you're a fan of um, the I series by the Pang Brothers. They did the I, okay. the I two oh. and I ten. I think is what it was called. Yeah. So they just released a. Um, I don't. I can't remember what year it's on. The original I, not the one with Jessica Alba. Uh, but there's a commemorative box set that came out over in Asia that came Ooh, in. Okay. So I'm going to be watching that. Uh, I I picked up those Christopher Lee Blu-rays. Um, yeah. And I, I, I have not touched them. So I'm going to have to watch that. We have been talking Chinese vampires with our friend Sophia because she was on to talk Batman. So I pulled all those out. I'm going to watch the the Mr. Vampire series, including the Vampire versus Vampire. Something about Chinese vampires. Uh, I haven't I haven't watched one in a long time, so I'm kind of excited since we were talking about that to to revisit. And a little project. Um, our our friend Sammy last year. He he tried to watch was all it those two years ago. Was it two years we watched the soft films? It was two, yeah, it was two years ago. Two years ago. Okay. So last year, me and the kiddos were like, let's do that. Let's let's get through all the Saw films. And uh, I, I think I had only seen the first two at that point. We made it to number four, 
mm-hmm. and then quit. So I'm going to finish that. Now, I, I, I was like, get these out early. So I watched five, six, and seven, thinking it was the final chapter. And then it was like, nope, there's, what, three more? Jigsaw? One's in the theater now, right? Jigsaw and then Spiral and then Saw X. Yeah, they, they really got me with that whole final chapter thing. Well, I mean, we all know in horror series, when you say the final chapter, it's not. Have you seen those? Um, I have. I've seen all of them up until Spiral. I have Spiral. I've never watched it. I enjoyed the first one quite a bit. I did too. Um, but anything after that, it's just so damn serious. Like it is just so damn serious. And it's just a film that just loves to watch women cry. Like with the runny makeup <laughs> yeah. and all that. So that's all it is. I, I don't know. So if, if you had told me like, Oh, when, when, when saw came out and they're like, Hey, there, there's going to be a sequel. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Set up these traps, get these people, you know, have the twist or whatever it is. In in a million years, I would have never guessed what they did with that franchise. So on one hand, I'm like, okay, this is absolutely stupid and ridiculous. Um, where it goes into part seven, right? That that's where I'm at. Yeah, because I think he dies in like the third he one. He dies in the third one and and they find a way to to I mean, look, folks, if, if you're going to do the marathon, plug your ears and you haven't seen it. I'm amazed how they bring the first one full circle and connect it to the seventh one. I didn't. It makes no sense. Um, I, I think it's it's just ludicrous. So on one hand, I'm like, this is just dumb. But on the other hand, I really appreciate the the tenacity um, and, and just, it, it goes for broke. Um, I think at that point in time, they're too pot committed. So it's like, we're all in now. So we just gotta, you know, yeah, we have no cards in our hand, but we're going to try to get this to work. Yeah. I can't, I can't say they're good films, but I can say that I was entertained with just where are they, what are they going to do next? Um, but yeah, it was incredibly, I mean, it's torture porn for, all intent and purpose, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's weird. It becomes a police procedural at some point, which is even weirder. Yeah. And like they have Danny Glover for a minute. A hot minute. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's crazy. Okay. Well, let's, I guess, kick things off talking about tonight's film, The Girl with All the Gifts, which, man, it has a, has a unique background. Um, and I can't wait to talk about this film. So this is not a first time watch for either of us, right? It is not. I saw this, I think when it originally kind of hit video and stuff, cause a lot of the horror podcasts I were listening to at the time, they did it and it sounded really interesting, Yep, same. but it had been since it's release in 17 here. So yeah, I, I hadn't seen it since, uh, same as you. Cause we, I mean, we're in the same circles. Yep. So when everybody was talking about this is like, Oh, got to watch it. Bought it on Blu-ray. Uh, remember liking it a whole lot. Haven't visited it since. So I'm really curious what uh, a second time viewing goes, but this has a bit of a unique distribution and release schedule. 
So I'm, I'm going to kick it over to you and you, you can kind of put us in the time machine and, and tell us about the girl with all the gifts when it was released back in 2016. Yeah. So a little easy for me because, uh, here in the States, we get girl, the girl with all the gifts in February 24th of 2017, it gets a UK release, um, September of 16. So it comes out, what is that? Five months later here. Mm-hmm. Um, Budget is unknown. I know it got a lot of grants and a lot of, um, it came from a creative fund from England. So it was like an investment in sort of, um, what do you say? Like a not, it's not for profits. Yeah. There's just kind of promotes development of like creative companies and things like that. Yeah. The, um, half of the film's budget came from BFI film fund and creative England and what's interesting about that is it because it comes from those two sources, it was the biggest investment that Creative England had ever put up at that time in 2016 and one of the largest ever for BFI. I don't know what the largest one is, but obviously it's hitting like in their their top 10 of films that they threw money at. Yeah, yeah. Um, so total box office run, it makes $4.086 million. Is that again, worldwide? It's worldwide because okay. it does not box office mojo does not show it making any money domestically. So it, it says it did not run theatrically in the U S I thought it did, but I couldn't find anything to substantiate I, that. I know Warner brothers distributed it in the UK yeah. and Sabin films. What, Saban, got, Saban, the sorry. Power Rangers. Oh, that's Oh my God. You're right. Yeah. Um, Saban was the U S film distribution. Yeah. Yeah, because um, when you boot it up, it does say Saban Films. That's and then right. You get yeah, all you're the, right. Not Power yeah. Rangers. I, okay, I'm <laughs> yeah. putting I'm putting two and two together here, bud. Yeah, the uh, the girl with all the gifts could meet Power Rangers in this universe. I would pay money for that. Yep. Um, so yeah, but like when you're using federal, I don't think there's federal money, but when you're using like grant money and, and all this stuff. Um, they're probably not giving out millions and millions of dollars. So we can safely assume that this did not make back. Well, it, maybe it did maybe all in all, it, it probably did. Okay. Uh, but it's a really small film. So we'll just say it was a bomb. Uh, Rotten tomatoes. It sits at an 86% with the critics. That's with over. That's with roughly 132 critical reviews. And a 67% with the audience. That's with 5,000. Um, which amazed. I was surprised with that. I'm amazed that many critics reviewed this, but I that's guess what, for an independent film from the UK, sure, why not? Yeah, and I think it had some buzz coming out of it mm-hmm. too. Um, so, and then it's strange here. I know it doesn't get theatrical here, but like we think when stuff comes out in February, it's kind of they're dumping it to right. uh, to just kind of but again this doesn't get a theatrical release but films that do get a theatrical release in February of 2017 we have Rings which is a terrible movie <laughs> oh, I uh, totally this, forgot that okay yeah, yeah, yeah all right the space between us okay uh, then we have February 10th is a huge weekend we have. The Batman, the Lego Batman movie, John Wick Chapter Two, Fifty Shades Darker. 
wow. all on that day. And then we have The Great Wall, which stay tuned. Uh, <laughs> a Cure for Wellness, stay tuned. Yeah. This fight. And then we have Get Out is the la- one of the last films. And then Collide and Rock Dog, Troy. Rock Dog. That, that will probably be one that we'll have to skip in reviewing. Rock Dog? Rock Dog, yeah. 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 So, yeah. So, my week is pretty much done because that's all all we need to talk about no oh, okay well it's going to be a short list behind the camera too I, what's interesting is when you look at the names associated with the film i think the pedigree is in front of the camera to be quite honest that's where they spent the money yes yes so behind the scenes the the movie is directed by colm mccarthy so what's interesting about this director uh, he didn't formally train in, in any kind of filmmaking school or anything of that nature. He just watched a lot of films, read a bunch of books, and then started shooting stuff with his friends and landed a few gigs, right? Short films eventually lead into television. And quite honestly, if you look at his resume, most of the stuff he's directed has been um, for the small screen. Mm-hmm. And so he's got Dream Team, Hustle, Murphy's Law, The Tudors, Doctor Who episode, Sherlock, Peaky Blinders, Black Mirror, Krypton, list goes on and on, right? When you're looking at just theatrical films or movies, uh, we've got Outcast in 2010 and The Girl with All the Gifts in 2016. So a long resume, but not a long theatrical resume as a director. And I believe Outcast is another horror film. Yes. Um, not to be confused with the comic slash TV series Outcast. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a couple of horror movies out there called Outcast, to be quite yeah, honest. I'm sure there is, yeah. yes. Um, and then, again, kind of interesting, the screenplay is done by Mike Carey. So he did the screenplay, but at the same time he's doing the screenplay, he's actually writing the book, The Girl with All the Gifts. Um, and they're finished, a, a, I don't want to say about the same time, but he's he's working on them at the same time. They all, uh, both properties have the same ending, but there are some differences in the story from the book in comparison to the film. All right. I, and I don't know any of those differences. So yeah, we can talk I, about those later. Well, and I've, I've only, to be quite honest, I've, I've only seen a couple of snippets and, and oh, okay. read some stuff here and there. I'll say this, uh, from what I have now kind of dipped my toes in, I, I need to read this book. So it's about 400 pages. It's much more in depth. And um, I think it's told through different points of view of like five characters, but the story and everything is the same. And even the conclusion is, is very similar to the film. Okay. Um, and Mike Carey, this is his only film credit. He's um, a comic book writer, correct? I, I believe so. So he's a UK writer and producer. He, he's done some stuff like the uh, Constantine animated show city of demons. Um, he did an episode mm-hmm. of that in 2018, but yeah, this is his only film credit. And uh, it's super interesting. And then cinematography, you know, again, lots of television. And it's done by Simon Dennis. But what's interesting is um, I noticed he he shot the uh, Pusher remake in 2012. And then in 2016, the year that this film came out, he did uh, The Girl with All the Gifts, Kill Command, and The Limehouse Golem. So that's all in 2016. A lot of his other stuff, I, I mean, I nothing jumped out at me as like, Oh, I've seen this stuff. Right. And I think you're more of a TV guy than I am. So you, you may know more stuff. 
I'm 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 so sadly behind on current TV shows. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, the other credit I just want to throw out here because I think we'll talk about this music by Cristobal Tapia Devere. I think I got that right. Uh, but yeah, that's really, I guess, a television heavy um, background for a lot of the people yeah. working on this film. You know, behind the camera. In front of the camera, entirely different. So I want to start with, um, is it Gemma Arterton? Arterton, Arterton, yep. Okay. Uh, So in the film, she's the the teacher who works with these, um, we'll just say, infected children. Are you familiar with Gemma? I mean, when you see her, do you recognize some of the films that she's been in? Yeah, I remember her being such a big deal in like, it felt like from like 08 to probably 12 or 13. I think the last thing I really remember her being in is runner runner and like that Hansel and Gretel witch hunters film. Um, but she was like in Prince of Persia, clash of the Titans, uh, quantum of solace, that terrible rock and roll film. Like I remember her seeming like she was going to be the next big thing. Uh, but none of those movies are really that good. And that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I will defend uh, Hansel and Gretel. It's fun. No. Yes. That one is fun at least. Yeah. I, I totally forgot she was in quantum of solace. So I guess she's officially a bond girl. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. Yeah. From rock and roll. Uh, strawberry fields, strawberry fields. That's right. Uh, she's this movie has popped up a couple of times. The Voices with Ryan Reynolds in 2014. We need to talk about this film. Oh, at some yeah. Point. Okay. Yes. Yes. Uh, more recently, she was in The King's Man uh, from 2021. So it's the third movie of this series, which is kind of a prequel um, to that universe. And uh, still acting today, most recently this year in The Critic in 2023. I mean, what are your thoughts on her? Is, is she somebody that stands out to you? Or is she just like, oh, I totally forgot about her? I do kind of forget about her when she pops up on screen. I do like her. Um, I'm just not thoroughly impressed with her to be perfectly honest with you. I think she's fine. She just doesn't have it. Okay. But she's fine. Like I'm not disappointed to see her. It just doesn't make me feel the best to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, I will, like I said, like most of her films just aren't that great. uh, Yeah, it it could be, it could be the quality she's choosing. I'll say this from an acting perspective. She's pretty damn fantastic in this film. Like of, of all the films that I've seen her Mm -hmm. in, I I think she, she delivers an incredible performance, which makes me think like, Hey, I'm, I would definitely check out more stuff that she's done outside of like the, the Hollywood more visible things like the clash of the Titans, Prince of Persia, stuff like that. Like um, Haley Atwell is like a better version of Jim Arterton. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. I get that. I totally see that. I'm with you. Okay. Um, Patty Considine. You, you familiar with him? He, he plays Sergeant Eddie parks. He's the head of yeah, security base. He, guy. Uh, he's a good, great like character actor that when he pops up, I do like a lot. Like obviously he's in hot fuzz. Uh, he's in some of the Bourne films, I believe. Mm-hmm. Cinderella Man, was, 2005. Oh, yeah, Cinderella Man. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Um, yeah, I like him a lot. Um, he's uh, he's always good. Um, 
is kind of the inverse of Jim Arden, I guess. Like <laughs> when he pops up, I kind of get really excited. Yeah, he's like directing uh, now too. So he did uh, Tyrannosaur in 2011 and actually got a BAFTA award for outstanding debut by British writer, director, or producer. I want to see that. I've heard good things. Yeah. Um, my problem with him is Hot Fuzz. Every time I see him, I'm like, oh, it's one of the Andes. Andy, yeah. He's so good in Hot Fuzz. <laughs> I bet Hot Fuzz is clearly a top 10 film for me. Um, but it's it's one of those films that anytime I see people from Hot Fuzz, like Patty, I'm I'm just automatically thinking about, well, now I got to go watch Hot Fuzz. Yeah, he was also in the House House of Dra- House of the Dragon as well. Oh, the um, the he's HBO one of the thing. Targaryens. Yeah. Okay. He's the king. He's the so. king. Okay. I, again, I'll catch up at some point. I never finished Game of Thrones. I, I need to get back on the horse. I know you're shaking your head. I'm. I'm I disappointed. Know, I am. Um, it's all right. It's okay. Another heavy hitter in front of the camera is possibly one of the biggest. Yeah, I think so. Glenn Close. Now she's the uh, she plays Caroline Caldwell, the doctor who's kind of in charge of finding the cure uh, of what's going on, and we'll kind of talk about that. I think. I mean, she's she's been this this struck me as odd. Nominated for an Academy Award eight different times, has never won. Never won. Um, would you say that? I mean, is Fatal Attraction the one that everybody gravitates to when they think of Glenn Close? Mars Attacks. Yeah, yes. Mars Attacks. Yes. Okay. <laughs> but for me, it's Mars Attacks and then Air Force One. But probably a better answer would be, uh, yeah, Dangerous Liaisons. But yeah, it's Fatal Attraction. Fatal Attraction was just a pop culture phenomenon when it came out in the late 80s. Um, yeah. That Alex character. I mean, talk about water cooler discussion. Holy cow. Um, and the last person, but have you seen Mars attacks? Oh yeah. I've seen Mars attacks. Yeah, I mean, I I, Glenn close is amazing. I mean, we'll probably, we'll pick a Glenn close bomb and spend a lot of time on her, but it's, it was great to see her in this. And I, I gotta, I gotta be honest with you. When Glenn close shows up in a film, I think it just sort of ups the ante on the, it, it adds a little quality. prestige to your film. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last but not least, and probably the star of the film um, she's on all the poster art and everything else. Is Sanaya Nanua as Melanie. So she is our um, very complex little girl slash fungus zombie. Is that <laughs> is that how you would yeah, say that? Yeah. Okay. So this is her first feature film. Um, since then, she's done a, a few films in television. Uh, hasn't really broken out, but um, we'll we'll talk about her performance here in a minute. So real quick, production and development. And I, I mentioned this already. The book and the film were uh, rewritten in tandem with Carrie also writing the screenplay. Colm McCarthy came aboard as director for his first major feature. Now they say that, but if you look at his resume, he has Outcast out there. So I don't know if it was like, you know, direct a video or something of that nature. Um. The movie was originally titled She Who Brings Gifts, but was later retitled Matching the Book. The title is a reference to the ancient Greek legend of Pandora, the gift giver, which is also referenced in the book by the character um, of Helen being a classics teacher. And so in the beginning of the film, they, they do give you a refresher on who Pandora is. The film did get some nominations and wins at various award shows and festivals such as BAFTA, Austin Fantastic Fest, Empire Awards, and the British Independent Film Awards. 
So to your point, when this thing debuts in September of the year before it comes out in the U.S., it is getting a lot of buzz. So that probably does explain why a ton of critics, you know, went mm. out and reviewed this thing. Yep. So this is super interesting. The film, um, do, do you want to like synopsize the the film or what's sort of, um, I guess the, it it's, it's not a zombie film, but it's a zombie film, right? It is. Yeah. It's yeah. They're, they're basically, basically, if you know anything about the last of us, it's kind of like that in a way it's like a fungus based uh, disease, I guess, or virus. No, I mean, it's a fungus, so it's not either of those. Uh, it's a fungus that basically turns people and there's like phases to their, their turning in the first one they call what hung hungries. No, hungries. not hungries. Yep. Yeah. Hungries. And then there's like this uh, second part of the metamorphosis and they come a little bit more sophisticated and aware. Um, and yeah, there's kids involved in. Yeah. The, the, you, the synopsis is in a dystopian near future, humanity has been ravaged by a mysterious fungal disease. The afflicted are robbed of all free will and turned into flesh eating hungries. Humankind's only hope is a small group of hybrid children. So they're like the second generation, right? Mm -hmm. And we'll talk, we'll talk about how they were created who crave human flesh, but retain the ability to think and feel the children go to school at an army base in rural Britain, where they're subjected to cruel experiments by Dr. Carolyn Caldwell. Um, and what ends up happening is the base gets overrun by these fungus zombies and uh, our small band of, of, characters including melanie who is one of these um they refer to him as neonates we'll we'll explain where that comes from um is uh with this group and they're trying to get to basically another army base and and go through london i think right mm -hmm. okay so i thought this was fascinating uh there is a real life fungus that bears a remarkable resemblance to the one described in the film the Ophiocordyceps unilateralis, or zombie fungus, thankfully only infects carpenter ants. When the ants are first infected, they undergo severe whole body convulsions as seen in the human hosts of the movie. The fungus then starts controlling their brain. Eventually, the zombie fungus directs the ant to climb up a tree where the next stage of fungus life cycle occurs. Specifically, as seen in the movie, the fungus grows through the victim's head to produce a long stalk. When the conditions are right, pods open to make the fungus airborne, allowing it to infect many more hosts. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, the ant zombie fungus also protects its infected hosts from some environmental pathogens, as also seen with Melanie's symbiote. So there you go. It's based on a real thing. It just doesn't affect us. Yet. Yeah. Does that, does that not scare the shit out of you? <laughs> yeah, I know. Cause I've seen last of us. Okay. Well, you, you brought that up a couple times just as this movie comes out in 2016, right? Mm -hmm. So the last of us video game from naughty dog studios came out in 2013. So it's just a few years after this. Yep. Okay. So that's all. That's the homework session of the, I guess, um, <laughs> podcast. It, it's hard to talk about why this thing bombed. I guess 
more importantly, why didn't it get a major theatrical release? Was it just too crowded, you think? or Maybe, but in, if you think about 2017, we had been in the fix of so many zombie films, and I think you would, would probably categorize this as a zombie film, even though once you watch it, they're not necessarily zombies. But if you think about it, like, we had just seen so much and maybe they thought it's just going to get lost in the shuffle. I, I, I'm not sure, but cause I keep thinking at some point in time, we're just going to get tired of zombies and then someone puts a new twist on them. And I think it's like a fresh idea. So I think this one has something that's unique to it, but I don't know if like a general audience would be willing to, kind of accept another one of those those being a zombie film okay so you you think we're all zombied out in terms of the genre even with its critical acclaim and everything from across the pond um we're not going to distribute it because it, it's just not the right timing do you think this would have been a hit if it had gotten released when zombies were kind of a popular thing because i, I, I feel think so I feel like well, there's an ebb and flow with that genre, yeah. right? It comes and it goes. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say. I'm trying to think. like Because, like, who's the, like, you're going to obviously put Glenn Close above the title. Jim Arterton probably as well. And that's it. Yeah, Wa- Walking and, Dead came out in 2010. So yeah. it's. Um, and even that felt like l- late to the zombie show. And this is six years after that, seven in the US. Okay. Well, uh, I'm really curious. You know what? I'm going to save this question for when we talk about the film. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss this uh, 2016 fungus zombie film. Um, the girl with all the gifts. So uh, stay tuned. A cup of whipped hot chocolate tastes great right now. Carnation's Cocoa Supreme, the delicious hot chocolate drink with the light, delicate flavor you like. Wouldn't a good hot cup taste good right now? Ask for a cup of whipped hot chocolate at our snack bar. The children had a party. It was Orville's coming out party. Alan, you're not going to take that dead body back to the cottage. Oh, but I am. Party time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. The children had such a wonderful time. They laughed and laughed and laughed. That is, until Orville's friends dropped in. Children shouldn't play with dead things.
Okay, Brad. I before we hear your thoughts on the film, I have a question. I okay. What makes a good zombie film? Uh, that's a good question. I think the zombies have to be terrifying. Okay. So they can't be too stupid, but they have to be limited by something. Because if you think about it, the difference between a zombie and a human is very, that line can be blurred quite a bit because the only thing really is that a zombie needs to eat flesh, but it's basically it's only there's no more free will the only desire is to eat human flesh okay um uh, that's a you have to care about the the people in peril right so well do, there has to be, do you have there, to care about them or and i i asked that question you have to be at least invested in in your characters okay that makes more sense um I see, a, I see two camps, and I'll, I'll uh, pick a movie that's kind of divisive, Day of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got a bunch of military people, and it's, it's really uh, a long film of people arguing. There's a mm-hmm. lot of social commentary, right? I don't know if I care about anybody in Day of the Dead, but I am invested in what happens. I like your term, invested. Yeah. But I do want to see what happens to them, right? Yeah, and I think there has to be an event where those group of people must go from one location to another, and then you ratchet up the danger. But all this, all that just feels like paint by numbers, but that's what I want in a zombie film. Okay. But then I think of something like 28 Days Later, and that's a little different, but the zombies have this unique ability. They're not slow. They run um, even something like World War Z. You know, we think about the way they like stack upon each other and climb. And I don't know. It's very because like you brought up Day of the Dead and I like Day of the Dead. Some people don't. It's divisive. But yeah, it's yeah, you're 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 not wrong. Mm. Well, so do you prefer something like return of the living dead, which has the zombies with an element of comedy, or do you like something? I don't like the I night don't. night of the living dead, which is much more the classic. I'm much more of a, of a night of the living dead. I think, uh, of course, then you think of like shot of the dead. You're like, well, comedy and, and zombies can't mix. And then you see shot of the dead. And you're like, no, it can actually. And it could work. And it could be one of the greatest comedies of all time. Uh, but I think that's, kind of the outlier not the rule okay um yeah i i really like my zombie films to be serious 99 times out of 100 unless that <laughs> other that one time is Shaun of the dead okay i i was thinking about it and um you know even even when i said it where i'm like well i'm invested in the characters but I don't care about them but i guess if i want to see what happens to them i care about them but it it's it's weird uh, Day of the Dead has always perplexed me because at the end of the day, I don't care if all those characters get eaten. Like in, in some regard, I'm sort of rooting for the zombies a little bit uh-huh. um, just because those characters annoy me. Well, but, there always has to be a characters that you want to see get theirs. Yeah. Like the come up. Yeah. Yeah. They're come up and yeah, I, I, I equate it to like three things that for me are essential to make a good zombie film. And one is just interesting characters. 
like to your point, you probably have some characters you're like, man, I hope that dude gets eaten um, slowly because I just don't like that dude. Uh, and and maybe you have characters that you're rooting for, like you you want to see him survive. So they they just got to be interesting characters because you're spending like an hour and a half, two hours with them, right? Mm-hmm. And then there has to be something unique about the zombies. Uh, it could be the look. It could be some new introduction into the to the rule of how zombies work, something of that nature. I mean, we've seen everything from shuffling zombies to uh, running zombies to, I don't know, acrobatic. Um, just- Would you put their location in there? Because like Dawn, not necessarily reinventing the wheel when it comes to. I I think so. I think location goes to the third thing that I was thinking of, which is there has to be some level in, in order for it to be good. There has to be some level of commentary on the human condition. So Dawn of the Dead, because it's set in a mall, mm-hmm. has an interesting commentary on capitalism. And, you know, are we all just zombies shuffling around buying crap? Yeah, consumerism. Yeah, yeah. Um, night of the living dead, I, I think has something very interesting to say about people and, mm-hmm. um, what happened. I mean, night of the living dead, if you sit down and talk about it, the reason why I think it is so inspirational for so many filmmakers is for one of the scariest films I think ever made. It packs such commentary on what was going on at the time period of not just what are the zombies saying about like the human condition, but how everybody reacts to each other and even what it's saying about like race relations at that time period and everything else. And and it's all right there. Right. But you can enjoy it as a really scary film or you can enjoy it as like, okay, what's going on? And is this a reflection of, of like that time period of our society? So to me, those are the three elements. Like when I think about all my favorite zombie films, they have these interesting characters. There's something really unique about the zombies and there is some level of commentary, be it um, as grand as Night of the Living Dead, or maybe just um, even poking fun at you know the human condition. To me, that that's that's got to be in there too in order for it to be a good zombie film. What can I can I ask you? What's your favorite zombie movie? Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, okay. hands down. I don't. I don't. I mean, what's yours? It's going to say Dawn of the Dead, but I really like 28 Days Later. That's really good. Yeah, <laughs> I do love that film. Surprisingly, for I mean, for as many things that are zombie-like or just plain out zombie films, there are tons of movies. And, and I get why you know it's a popular genre um, and why it spawns so many like, television shows like The Walking Dead. But I got to be honest, I, I just don't think anybody's done it better than Night of the Living Dead. Um, and that is kind of the blueprint of the modern zombie yeah. film. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. Okay. Um, but I, I do like the sub genre of zombie films. I think I like more zombie films than I dislike. I, I agree with that. I, I love I mean, even something like planet terror. Uh, that's a zombie film. I, I love that. We've done that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The, and you know what? If you really want to go into a sub genre, check out the Italian zombie films. I mean, mm. They pretty much reinvented the uh, uh, term gorehound with some of the stuff that they put out, right? Wait, a zombie punches a shark. <laughs> yeah, which is, uh, oh, God. And then the eyeball scene. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, uh, hey, let's get back to this one. What did you think of this film um, sitting down and watching it again? 
And um, I want I want to do a follow up question. So your your thoughts on the film and living in a post COVID world? Uh, did that change um, your viewing? Yeah. So I, I think the film definitely comes out swinging when you show kids basically uh, sort of like strapped down to chairs and you know, something's going on and they're pretty explicit with how they're treating these kids. And, and I think at that point in time, you're, you're really, you're, they're grabbing your attention with like, what is going on with these kids? Something that stranger things would like steal from. And, and not that this like invented that, but it's a very powerful um, picture that it paints at the very beginning of this film um, because initially it doesn't give you vibes of a zombie film because you're just with the kids and you think, Oh, it's, it's called, you know, the girl with all the gifts. So there's something, you know, that's gotta be going on. Um, and then there's these sort of military presence that most zombie films have. And they're immediately like the bad guys in a way that they treat the kids. But I, to me, like it feels sort of paint by numbers. And I don't want that to sound negative because think about when you're involved in a picture and you're doing the paint by numbers thing. And while you're doing it, you're like all these things. I, I, you know, I know where this goes. I know where this goes. I know where this goes. But when you pull out and look at the picture, you're like, Oh, that's actually a really cool picture. Like I <laughs> colored in this thing and it actually turned out to be pretty cool. So like paint by numbers doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. It just feels pretty familiar. We've, with we've the talked tr- about that though. In every genre, like there's something you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just have to yeah. execute well. Right. But yeah. You just have to do it well. And yeah. I think, I think this does it well. I like the small cast it makes you feel really isolated from the outside world there's no sort of like bigger conflict going mm-hmm. on because we're only with mostly like five or six people and you know we've got some no-name military people at the beginning with us so you know you know they're just there for for a higher body count um i really liked it i thought it had a really interesting premise and setup and then when you go outside because you think oh we're at this like military facility it's going to be dark it's going to be basically like a saw film like we're never going to see the sun right and then they go outside and it becomes like a totally different film in a way but there's still this danger of this girl that they have with her who's always wearing a muzzle and for the most of the time she's in handcuffs She's like a mini and, Hannibal Lecter touring around yeah, with him. Yeah. It is very raw. And then when they let her go, like she'll eat cats and, and just goes insane, um, which you're, you're now a cat person. So I'm sure that wasn't. Uh, yeah. I didn't, didn't like that scene at all to be quite honest, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, having that, having that close knit group of people, we talked about it. Like you start to really care about these people. Mm-hmm. Glenn close is kind of shitty in this but you still kind of want her to make it because obviously she is the doctor who wants to find your cure 
and her only mission is to find a cure. And that's admirable in this time. Um, and then of course there's Gemma Arden, which I think this is probably her best role she's ever been in because she has some pretty emotional scenes and I think she delivers a really strong performance, but you know, the little girl is by far like just steals the show for me. She's scary at points, loving at other points, um, quiet at other times. It's just, she can do every emotion really well, but you're not turning your back on that kid. Cause oh, like, hell you know, no. I, yeah. I, I feel like I, f- I feel like she elevates um, everybody else's acting, especially in some crucial scenes with Gemma, especially, yeah. I mean, their, their connection is palpable out of the yes. gate. So one of the, the smart things they do with that character is she's very polite to the adult. She always says, hi, their names and, and, and whatnot. But we also see how brutal she can be um when left to her own devices all that being said i think again there are some unique spins but it all feels pretty samey but that to me it's like all depends on the execution and i really like i really like the way they executed and brought everything together it felt pretty like quickly paced like you look at the runtime, you're like, damn, this is almost two hours. And I think it pretty much goes pretty quickly. Yeah. I, I thought um, it flew because of the, like it, it does a good, a good job of ratcheting up tension. You know, they have times where they stop and it gets quiet. So the audience can sort of catch their breath and then we move on. And then there's another scene. And then of course we have to sneak past zombies and be quiet and, you know, all that stuff. But I, I really thought this was pretty fantastic to be such a small film and, and something that probably most people haven't heard of, but I, I don't say I loved it. I liked it a lot. Okay. But it could be one of those, like if I rewatched it again, it could become a love. I, I think this is a, a film that would get better over time. So, my se- the second part of my question, I was really curious about this because there are there are some movies now that we lived in a world where where the world just locked down for months, right? Yep. And months, years. <laughs> well, but I mean, months where where yep. like you can't go anywhere, and then you finally open up, and everybody's wearing masks and all this other stuff. This this isn't your traditional zombie film because you're dealing with something where it's like, oh, you get infected from some fungus. And that's yeah, airborne what, fungus. Yeah, that's what turned you in into the, these fungus zombies. Um, did did you feel that it had a little bit more weight now that you've kind of oh, lived it was way more like profound that? at this time watching it than any other time. Yeah, I was I was going to ask you because I there, there's some scenes in there where I'm like, man, I feel like I lived this a little bit now. Yes, yeah, and, and anything now that you see is like, oh you know, breathing something in is going to be the death of you is like a real fear yeah. that people had for years on end. Um, and, and actually sadly still do. Uh, but yeah, I think seeing this post COVID makes it way more profound and actually way more scary to think about. We weren't 
that far from this and now people weren't turning into well i mean even then people kind of turned pretty ugly wasn't necessarily into like a zombie like creature but well, you can find i mean it's it's crazy by people are hoarding toilet paper yeah, you're, gonna, you're gonna tell sanitizer. your grandkids like the when we lived through covid you couldn't find spam and in, in the yeah. <laughs> i mean spam yeah. and toilet paper were scarce because everybody's hoarding it yeah yeah i i i think it, it's so weird um i actually I really, really like this film. I almost say love it uh, for for a couple of weeks. Now, I, I think it has some problems. It, I, zombie films outside of Night of the Living Dead, which I, I think Night of the Living Dead is almost perfect. Dawn of the Dead's up there too. Um, there's there's a couple of things that just hit on the second viewing, it was like, ooh, I don't know if that works for me. But let's say it's called 95% of the time, I think this movie's just fi- firing on all cylinders, right? And you brought this up a little bit and I just want to get your impression. The first act of this film is mostly with them being underground. Like you want like a Andrew Dice Clay impression or like what? What? No, <laughs> not <an> impression. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 for that. So I, no one, I, no one asked for that. No yes. one asked for that. I'm, I was going to make this statement. So I think this has one of the best first acts of a horror film that I've seen in a really long time. Because the setup is so smart. You get these, you're introduced to these children in orange jumpsuits in a detention facility. You've got soldiers and doctors treating them as if they're not human. And these look like sweet kids and they keep calling them abominations. And then abortions. Yeah, abortions. And Melanie, who is the central character, and you said it, she's acting like the perfect model child smiling she's she's nice she's excited to be around you know everybody and and excited about that interaction she's excited about going to school um you get this weird collection of images and exchanges that just don't make sense and the film doesn't explain any of it it's not giving you anything outside of you're just a fly on the wall observer of what a day in the life is of melanie more or less and then you get this um pandora's box analogy you know they're telling the greek myth and you're like okay well it's some foreshadowing and but in that exchange you see this really sweet connection between melanie and helen and it's almost motherly which leads to helen kind of touching the top of her head and then all of a sudden the soldiers freak out and you have our our main soldier come in and go what what are you doing these these things are so dangerous and it leads you to the arm test um, where he's spitting on his hand, rubbing his arm and then holds it up. To, and then all of a sudden you have this classroom of feral children in these jumpsuits that, that, cl- that kid starts clicking his teeth together and yeah. stuff. It's really freaky. So all of a sudden you realize that, okay, you understand why everybody is so guarded around these kids and they've got rifles pointed at them and everything else. And um, you all of a sudden learn this basic rule that there is this gel that you can put on your body that hides your your scent or your smell. Melanie's the only one that isn't really losing control. Um, but you get all of this tension and you haven't really got an explanation of, okay, th- this is kind of the second generation of fungus zombies. You don't learn any of that till you know, probably the second act. 
But really that first act doesn't tell you anything. It shows you everything and it lets you learn as things unfold. And to me, that's some really, really like um, high caliber craftsmanship of just directing, acting, script writing across the board. Well, it, it it's it, it's nice to see a film that trusts its own mystery and trust the audience to figure and it trust out. Trust the yeah, and trust the audience to go along with that mystery. And hopefully, at the end, we have some sort of closure. But yeah, to have the to to really be a new filmmaker and to have this idea and to kind of, and to keep it hidden for a while is, is a, I think it's the best choice this film could make. Well, and and the other thing I noticed was it really heightened my attention for the performances because I've seen this film before and I know it's going to happen. So I'm really paying attention, but I do remember the first time I saw it, I'm like, what is going on with these kids? What's going on with this facility? But as a result of that, and even you see the exchanges between Melanie and Helen, um, because you're invested in trying to figure it out, you're really paying attention to these performances. And it's that mystery that just sort of adds this level of, um, I don't know, detail and attention to everything that's going around. It's just this heightened sense of drama that kind of pulls it out of everything. Especially, this is why I think this gem is like best work is because right out of the gate, that scene where she's trying not to cry in front of the class, Mm -hmm. it's ridiculously good when Melanie's reading her story, but this movie's gruesome too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Those, those moments are then contrasted with some pretty gnarly moments as well. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, which kind of makes me love this film so much is it's a, it's a perfect example of a movie giving you the willies and the creeps um, with not its images. There are some shocking images in this thing, but I found some of the exchanges and them talking about things just as grotesque as some of the imagery you see. And the thing that sticks out, like it gives me chills. This is how good Glenn Close is, all right? When um, she's sitting in the hallway having an exchange with Melanie and Melanie is asking like, why am I the way that I am, right? Mm-hmm. And Caldwell explains the discovery of the neonates. So these are basically um, babies that were discovered because they um, they had women who are pregnant who get infected by this fungus. And so what happens is the baby or in the womb gets infected and they eat their mothers from the inside out, devouring the intestines and everything just to get out of the stomach. And her description of this is so vivid and detailed um, about these neonites coming into the world in, you know, just basically eating through their mother's stomach that it's left to your imagination to, to envision all of this. And it's probably worse than anything they could have shown. Yeah. That's one of those scenes where someone say like an Eli Roth or some hack Rob zombie, if you will, would then show it happening just to get their gorgasm out (laughs) with the audience. I like that. You're right. This, your idea of what that would look like is much worse than what the film could show you. 
um, especially if you've ever gone through childbirth with yeah. your, your significant other. Um, that's a crazy just, you know, image. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're talking about like you know it would eat the placenta, then you know re- eat its way through and stuff like that, and that's when you start to know like oh like this stuff is gnarly as hell. And and why she you know was eating worms at the beginning of the film, mm-hmm. um, why she goes so feral, uh, because it, you get to imagine of like okay you saw her eat a cat, you saw her eat a pigeon, <laughs> like just go nuts over that. Now that you've seen those images, you you're like, oh my god, she, imagine that! But in the womb of her mother and acting that way to get out and just eating her way out is is crazy. Yep. And for Glenn, just I mean, you got Glenn close. You give her that dialogue. I mean, she's uh, gonna sell it. She's gonna sell it and just freak you out, right? But the other thing I like is I I like the nuance of these zombies because it brings up the question, especially the second generation. You, you've got this thing that infects their brain and you see in the lab, a couple of brains out there with the fungus around it, et cetera. And they keep talking about this symbiotic relationship in the second generation, which then becomes a big uh, plot point at the end of the film. And so you're always constantly guessing with Melanie, is this her making these decisions or is it that fungus that is wrapped mm-hmm. around her brain? Which, again, is is very interesting because she's being nice and everything else. But then she goes to feral. So you're like, well, is is the feralness when the, the fungus or whatever takes over? Or is the fungus just manipulating her, understanding what she has to say to get what she wants? Yeah. Um, and then you get this whole, what happens when the zombies die? You know, the danger is not over because now the fungus grows out of the brain into like these big trees and produces these pods, which pretty much can end the world. Um, and then should should we just pause right here and go? We're going to spoil the crap out of this film. Yeah, but what would you agree that I think people need to watch this? I do. So, OK, let's let's say that right now. It's not a bomb. Is that fair? Not a bomb. Yes. We're going to steal a, 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 a playbook out of the watch skip plus uh podcast here. We're going to go ahead and say, this is not a bomb. And then we're going to go to the spoiler section. <laughs> there you go. So um, yes, if you, if you haven't seen this film, stop right now, go watch it and then come back and, and listen to the rest of the show. But the other thing that I find really fascinating is if you if you take that whole well, what is going on in her brain? What decisions are she is she making, etc.? And then you get the scene, which again, Glenn Close knocking out of the ballpark. She's delivering home run after home run in this film. She has this exchange with Melanie and trying to convince her that she needs to give her life so she can basically take things out of her brain and spinal cord in order to create like um, some kind of immune uh, immune serum for the human race. And that scene is super chilling because again, Melanie's response, which uh, is such a gut punch. <laughs> it, it, you know, she basically says, she asked the doctor a question like throughout our entire relationship, you keep saying I'm just this and I'm not really alive. Am I alive? And I think the doctor is trying to like, I don't know, get on her good side so that she can say, well, you're going to let me cut your brain out and your spinal cord. Right. 
and says, yeah, I I do think you are alive. It's just symbiotic with the fungus. And so Melanie's response is, well, wait, we're alive. Then why should it be us who die for you? You. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's a powerful line. It is. And then all of a sudden, if, if you're invested into this film and these characters, you're immediately thinking, was that, is that Melanie talking or is that the fungus? And then, um, what, what did you think of the ending and, and what Melanie ends up doing? Catching the tree on fire. Yeah. And setting all the spores out and pretty much ending the world. Well, is it the natural way of like evolution in a way? Like, cause you can look at it that way, right? Like man is like basically had its time. And this is our next evolution is to become more uh, sort of with nature because fungus is like a natural growing thing. So I was just thinking it is like, maybe this is just showing where we go next. Um, Cause we're all, you know, cause it's, you could, you can look and say like, we're killing each other anyway. Cause we're, you know, we would eat someone just to get their spot. Like all that sort of, you know, kill or be killed sort of deal. Um, at first I really had to think about it. I was like, why would she do that? And I was like, does she think this Melanie thinks she is superior to humans? Like, does she think that she's the next sort of step does in the fungus evolution think, or, <laughs> or, yeah, or does the fungus think it's, you know, the next evolutionary step. And that's what I think. Like it thinks that it's, it's turn to sort of have its time in the sun, if you will. Well, I mean, if, if you go to the extreme of the ending, because they keep talking about when they, when they find this tower where all these bodies have come together, come together. Yep. And it, it pretty much has produced all of these pods. And, um, I, I think that the doctor kind of realizes, look, you get moisture or heat in this area, this thing's going to release. And next, you know, it's the end of the world. They, they pretty much say it's the end of the world. If this thing ever kind of opens up. So what does she do? She takes some matches. She goes out there, lights it on fire, lights it on fire. Everything opens up. And what I find interesting is now Helen is trapped in this box, can never go outside because the minute she goes outside, she's going to breathe whatever's out there and uh, die. But yet yeah. Melanie kind of like turning the tables on people, huh? Well, I, it, it man, it's, I think this where this is where the movie hits um, when you talk about like that third thing that I like in my zombie films, which is a little bit of social commentary. So it, I, I do kind of agree with you where Melanie may turn the tables a little bit and just say, why is it that I have to sacrifice myself for you? And so if, if she truly is a fungus or, or plant, and let's just say it's not Melanie talking, but this thing, this, this fungus that's around her plant or around mm-hmm. her brain, if she's telling the doctor, like, why do I have to die in order for you to live? Because I've seen how you treat me and I've seen how you treat the planet. Like it, it's our time. Um, but on top of that, you're now going to be a prisoner of, you know, instead of you using us and putting us in a, in a cage or anything of that nature, we are going to flip the tables and, and we will now take over the planet and you're in this glass cage and that's how you have to live. I think it's very interesting kind of warning. I, I mean, you could look at this film and go, wow, it's very environmentalist preachy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, but I think it's even more nuanced to that because it's just talking about what is mankind doing to each other and at what point does the environment come back and go, yeah, now you're at um, the mercy of you know, what we want to do with the planet versus what you want to do with the planet. Yeah, what does Mother, Mother Nature turn on her self-defenses? Pretty much. I mean, I've, I've always, uh, I don't know if you ever read, I think it was Richard Preston's The Hot Zone, um, which was a big book that came out when the Ebola virus was a big deal, right? And you had oh, the outbreak yeah. movies. There, the last chapter was always kind of frightening to me because um, he he kind of does an editorial. The, the book is about a possible Ebola virus case that almost happened in the U.S., like within the U.S. And if, if it had gotten out, it would have been devastating. But when he when he talks about the origins of where they found it, this this case that happened in the U.S. where we almost had an outbreak, and then you get to the final chapter. I mean, one of the things that he talks about is if if the Earth as its thing is is a living entity, and at some point it's getting sick from what we're doing to it, it does produce something like Ebola. Just the way our body takes care of viruses, right? Our self defenses kick in. Mm-hmm. So is is the Ebola virus or COVID or anything of that nature? Take take all the conspir- conspiracy, like who man-made all this other stuff. But is there a possibility that what we see in the world, especially when it comes down to um, viruses, is that the planet's natural defense to thin us out because of what we're doing to the Earth? And this film takes that premise and turns it into a zombie film. And I, I think it's really smart. Yeah, I mean, natural selection is always a always a thing. And do you believe that the Earth can trigger a natural selection event? Yeah, I, it's probably doing it now, and we don't yeah. even know it. You know, from yeah. from uh, again, not not playing into the conspiracy theories and just looking no. at it from like a biological sense, right? Yeah, yeah, because I'm sure there's sort of a natural equilibrium that needs to be. And once you cross that equilibrium, it's the event is more and more likely to happen. Yeah, I, I think so. And and that's that's the thing I love about this film. Um, it really tries to entertain you. Like from a horror movie standpoint, it's got the grotesque stuff, the the gore yeah, hound stuff. I wouldn't say it's like overly scary, but it is horrific. Yeah, you've got the the uh, carnage on display when zombies, the the fungus zombies, are eating people, right? You get this baby in the carriage, which is with a rat in its stomach, which is yep. disgusting. Um, the soldier remains after the other little neonates um, murder him in the convenience store. Uh, so th- there's a lot of these just visceral um, zombie headshots and stuff like that that you would find in this kind of film because they're they're sort of the run- running zombies, right? Um, yes. The only time I don't think the special effects or gore works is when you get too close to the zombies. I it the fungus stuff looks okay, but obviously yeah. something like The Last of Us the video game probably did that concept better. And I haven't seen the TV show, so I can't comment Ooh. on that. Oof. I know. Now that you've seen this, I think you should watch The Last of Us TV show. Yeah, I I definitely will. Um there's only there's only one thing uh that kind of takes me out of it, one sequence. So I I think Senia is amazing in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the most part, she gets the the right balance of innocence and savagery, 
within her performance and it just elevates everything around Absolutely her. Absolutely agree. Yes. Yeah. The only time I was not bought into that performance was her taking over the pack of um, neonates outside of the little convenience store when they find the dead soldier. Oh yeah. She starts to kind of roar at him and stuff. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's trying to be this dominant um, scream at the other kids, et cetera. And it, I like, let me put it this way. I like the concept. I like the story element, but there's something about that sequence. And I don't know if it's her performance or maybe it went on a little too long. I think it's that it, it goes on for like maybe 15 seconds longer than it needs to. Yeah. I don't know. There's, there's something about it. And and maybe it was the way of the other kids, the way they looked with their sort of, um, you know, feral, uh, imagery with, with the war face paint or whatever they're doing on their bodies. But um, I, I was hoping for something like 28 Days Later, but it felt a little bit more like Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome with the kids. Um, mm, yeah. But it, it it doesn't ruin it. It's just you're you're so tense and the performances are so amazing and there's all this horror grotesque and you're totally invested in the story and you get to that sequence and you go, oh, this is interesting, but it's going on a little too long and, and I'm just not I'm not buying her growling. For yeah, some reason, the, I think the growling was the thing that kind of took me out of it. Yeah, I get it, but that's the only that's the only complaint I have of this film is that one sequence. Uh, I get I get the ending, and I get the the ending why um, Helen is inside the glass thing, but like when all the kids are out there, she starts reading to them, and then she kind of does the uh, she starts like. Melanie starts to like bark at him and, and do that again. It's like, uh, okay. I, I, I get it. Yeah. It's it, that barking is, stuff is, it doesn't yeah. work, but the other, I mean, her eating a cat obviously is much more scary than her barking. Yeah, exactly. That that's the scary part. And yeah, I, I, I just think when it's like the last scene of your film, you're like, ah, oh, man, like you almost did the landing perfectly. And then, you just hit the brakes a little too hard and the landing wasn't great, but it still doesn't overall affect the film. No, it doesn't. It's just like, I don't know. I wish it was better at the end. Uh, I was okay with it. I, I, yeah, it's I'm, such a doubt. I mean, if, if you really are invested in the Helen character, man, what I know she cares. You can never for leave that room. She can't. And she's just at the mercy of these kids now. So they never really explain how long stage one lasts, right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you get the feeling that the outbreak has been going on for a while mm-hmm. because um, you they find some corpses and stuff that looks like that has deteriorated, you know, and it, and it could be one of those things as soon as they can't find food, they just um, wither away, right? Yeah, I wonder, like the kids are, say, what, maybe 10 years old? Sure, yeah say and so if they were yeah it's hard to say it's hard to say yeah but i kind of like again films that are strong enough to just keep the mystery there and not feel the need to explain everything and let you sort of wonder it's totally fine because when i watch this again i'm going to fill in some gaps it's like sometimes people make films and they feel like their audience will never see it again. 
and maybe we're weird and we watch films more than once, but I don't know, man. Like I, I feel like something that you consume should be better the second time than it was the first time. I, I think so. I, I mean, we've already said it. I think, I think this movie trusts its audience. It gives you some mystery. I mean, some of the best films are the ones you walk out of and there's enough there to tell a really good story and you're invested but there's all these elements sitting on the fringe that they've introduced, but they don't explain. And then you get to make up your own version or have mm-hmm. a debate with your friend about well, what was going on off to the side here. So think about Empire Strikes Back. When they introduce these bounty hunters and you get to see these, you know, just amazing. I mean, I, I immediately had to have a, every action figure, right? And you're so now making up these stories based on these four or five creatures you see, um, Boss, Dengar, IG-88, all the other stuff. He doesn't tell you any backstory in the film, nothing. But it gives you this scene or this visualization, and all of a sudden you are just talking about these characters. And all of a sudden the universe is much bigger than what's presented on screen because of just this one little snippet of scene. I'm not saying that this movie is, you know, the empire strikes back as zombie films, but what I, what I do think um, works here is that between Gemma Patty and Glenn's performances, and especially Sania, um, and then the script and the direction, everybody knows what they're doing. They're giving you enough, so that you're invested in the characters and the story, but they're also leaving some scraps off to the side for mm-hmm. you to talk about debate. Um, and then even kind of, well, Hey, pull this string. And where does that go? And what could be happening on this side of the, of the earth? Right. I think, I think Mike Carey made a really interesting screenplay and um, Cole McCarthy trusted the audience and, and the people in front of the screen just acted the shit out of it. You know, it's baffling to me. You look at something like this competently made with basically no money. And this guy hasn't done hardly anything like this again. I know. I really, I really want to see um, what both the, the director and the screenplay um, or the writer come. I, they need, they need to get back out there and do something again, especially in the horror genre. I, I think they definitely got some talent there. I mean, if they announced that they were doing something else, wouldn't you see it immediately? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. If, if they were like, Hey, the, the writer and director of the girl with all the gifts. Well, here's the thing. I'm, I'm definitely going to go read the book now, uh, knowing that it's very similar to the film and okay. I know what the ending is, but everybody that has done a comparison between the book and the film um, they're like, the book is really good. Like the movie's no slouch, but the book really has a bunch of detail. Um, it even has a different variation of these fungus zombies. So there's a, a lot more world building that's happening in the book that isn't presented in the film. Yeah. I mean, over 400 pages, you can do that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely gonna check it out. What'd you think of the music? Yeah. The music was very unsettling. And super unique. It's very Radiohead, like Kid A sort of vibe to me. Yeah. It fit. <laughs> it's it's one of those soundtracks that I don't know if I would listen to it, 
but it definitely fits the tone and the look and the feel of, of this movie. Yeah. But yeah, I, I really, I think I, I think I liked it if not loved it a little bit more than you. The film. Yeah. Yeah. I think you did, Yeah, but I liked it a lot. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I think we're both saying definitely go out and watch it, but I would say like on a scale of one, I would give this like an eight. Oh, really? It's as good as Warriors 2? <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I, I would give Warriors 2 a 10. So. I agree. Um, some people got that wrong, who we know. Um, any, other, any other thoughts on this one? No, no. Okay. Well, we already said it's not a bomb. Um, hopefully, you guys came back after you watched it, if you haven't seen it, and have gotten to this part of our little podcast. Um, what's our next film in Spooktober? Yeah, our next film was given to us by a listener named John H. It is 2002's psychological horror slasher film by the genius Lucky McGee. It is May. Oh man, that's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun conversation. I haven't seen May in forever. I saw it on its release. That's the last time I saw it. I'm I'm super excited to go back and, and watch that again. So this I want to say, did they show it one time at like a horror hound or something? I feel like I saw it in with a crowd. Oh, did I only saw I it when it came out I on DVD? That was my I don't f- know where I would have seen it like that. So okay. Okay. Uh I have a lot of feedback. You you want oh. you ready for this? Whoa, a lot. Okay, here I we go. I have a lot. All right. Uh okay. First one's from Michael. Uh this one's super interesting. It says just a quick one to let you know, I'm enjoying your podcast all the way over here in Australia and to thank you for recommending the Zatuichi series during your Blind Fury review. I've completed Crikey. every, <laughs> oh my God. Um, I, he just said he was listening and now he won't listen anymore. I'm sorry, Michael. That's okay. Um, I have completed every Zatuichi film since you spoke of it and fell in love with the character. So cheers, Mike. Damn, he made through like 28 films. Well, Mike, go watch the TV show. I think the DVD set's a little hard to, there's there's two volumes of it, but the TV show is just as good as well. Same actor, everything else, it's really good. Have you seen I the TV show? I haven't seen the TV show. Oh, okay. Yeah, Tab- Tabitha okay. got it for me one year for Christmas or something. It's, it's really it's really good. If you're, okay. you're going to be a Zatoichi completist, you got to go watch the TV I show. I know, I got I to gotta give in my membership card. There you go. Um, and Mike, uh, I, I, I don't know about Brad will not be visiting Australia because every time I open up a web browser, it's like things in Australia that can kill you. And the list is yeah, like long. someone I saw the other day, they were just like, they were showing their shoe and just like this giant spider comes out and I'm like, Nope. Yep. Not going to uh, Australia. It looks pretty, looks pretty, but even like your, your furry koala bears are supposed to be really dangerous. So nope. If the cutest yeah, thing have, like, on the herpes or something. I thought it was like chlamydia or something. No, chlamydia. That's right. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. That's you with herpes. Shut up. (laughs) Uh, And and of course, we're sitting here quoting the internet. It could be totally wrong. Yeah. 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 All right. Next one. This this one's a little bit long, but I I do want to read this. It's from Chandon. It says, hello, Brad and Troy. My name is Chandon. First time responder, longtime listener of your show, going way back to the tail end of season one in 2020. God, we've been doing this for a while. Mm Long time. Yeah, it says, I really enjoyed your episode on Champion with Don Lee. Having mostly seen his action films, Champion didn't immediately look like something that would grab me since it appeared to go against type. Even though it followed a predictable formula, I was impressed with his dramatic acting and nuance. I'm now interested to check out some of his less action-heavy filmography, beginning with Startup. Thanks. 
I also recently enjoyed your guest episode with Sammy on The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema for Fatal Termination. I've been following Error 4444 for a while now and can definitely recommend most of their catalog. I stress most as they are willing to go down some very GGTMC heavy paths. They released Region A versions of Funky Forest and Warped Forest, Shunikiro Miki and Katsuchito Ishii's collection of surreal, eccentric, bizarre, and often weird comedies. Ishii's most well-known film might be The Taste of Tea. While these have long sold out, you can still buy Region B copies from UK Japanese label Third Window Films. They have a great catalog as well if you have a region-free player, which you do, right, Brad? I know. Uh-huh, yeah. Okay, yep. we both do. Hopefully, I'm not too late to submit um, some suggestions for October, so I'm going to skip this part because we are doing one of his um, suggestions. Yeah he, yeah. he picked Fright Night 2, um, so that made it in. I'm going to jump down to here. P.S. I was also going to suggest a major studio breaking Brad suggestion with a not-a-bomb alumni, Nick Castle's ill-fated 1996 black comedy, Mr. Wrong, starring Ellen DeGeneres, Bill Pullman, and a solid supporting cast. Far from one of the worst movies ever, it still contains a toxic cocktail of terrible humor, no humor, questionable acting performances, and ill-fated casting choices. Not to mention how mean-spirited it is. I'm sure it also scared Ellen from ever starring in studio films again. She even used to mock it on her show back in the day. Although I doubt anything could compare to Love on a Leash, it can't. Uh, Only made it 30 minutes through the film before I had to tap out. You guys weren't kidding. Yeesh. Wow, 30 minutes. Yeah. um, You didn't have to. Good job, buddy. Yeah. Hey, you get an A for trying. Yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry for the long-winded email, but hopefully there's some interesting suggestions for your show. Again, longtime fan, Chanted. That's awesome. Is it Nick Castle, the major pain guy? Was he? Did he I do that? So. Was he doing like a string of comedies around that time period? Yeah, I think he also did Last Starfighter. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay. Wow. Um. Well, for, for those, I mean, uh, unless... Unless something changes, I don't, I, I think we're going to take a year off breaking Brad because I, this is killing us. Yeah. It's killing us. A um, couple more. Here we go. Zoe, our good friend from the Backlook Cinema podcast. This one cracked me up, so I had to read it. Uh, I was driving around with a passenger as I listened to your licorice pizza episode, my full disclosure being that I had never seen the movie. I had heard of it, so I was curious of yours and Brad's take on it. Your guest, Michelle Meeks, was wonderful and knowledgeable about the subject matter and themes of the movie, but there was something that had both me and my male passenger chuckling. It was that she seemed to suggest that younger boys or teens wouldn't be interested in older women. Me and the passenger basically agreed that teenage boys are down for whatever. To be fair, most of the time, teachers have a posture of authority that young students don't usually get past, and they tend to be decades older than their students. By that same token, many teachers are barely eight or nine years older, and that mantle of authority may not be fully realized. This may set the conditions for these blurring lines between peer and superior. What we end up with is a situation where a student wants to have carnal knowledge of the teacher. Now, is this an admission that I once had a crush on one of my high school teachers? Of course it is, but in my defense, everyone did. I'm going to stop there. Did you, Brad? Did you ever have a crush on your teachers? Oh, yeah. Um, We had like a teacher who was like 25. Oh, yeah. I Look, Wichita, Kansas. I don't know if it was because it was Wichita, Kansas. Um, I did, did not experience this in high school at all. 
Chances are she was probably your cousin too, right? Oh no, we're not in Kentucky. Um, just oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I just I don't remember having a crush on any of my teachers. Um, but I did marry a teacher, so maybe I made up for it that way. Oh right? yeah, there you go. Okay. So he says, as a side note, have you considered running the reviews from Movie Guide Online through ChatGBT? Surely reading that awful grammar is entertaining, but think of the mental strain it takes to read that gibberish. I'm concerned about Brad's mental health. After all, reading terrible grammar makes you dumber. I'd hate for that to happen to him. There's a suggestion for you, Brad. Yeah, maybe we can uh, bring back our, our robot to do. Oh, he's on uh, strike. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, yeah, that's right. We'll see. Uh, last one from Patrick. Real quick, I had to comment on the Batman episode from last week. The animated show in the early 90s was absolutely terrific. Two of those reasons are the title cards for each episode, which were absolutely genius, and Alfred. Alfred was sassy in a fun way while also being extremely badass and deadpanned. He was a great part of that show. I forgot about the title cards, Brad, of the anime oh, yes. series. They yeah. were awesome, man. Um, I agree with everything in that. I mean, the animated series just fucking rocks. I know. I've been going back and watching some of my favorite episodes since we talked about the, the Batman stuff. Um, that was some awesome feedback folks. And we, we had a lot of people, uh, engage on the social posts. We've been a little light lately cause I mean, life, uh, it's yeah. been busy, but, uh, Brad, how do people get a hold of us and send other recommendations for movies we should watch or share their thoughts on the films that we're reviewing, especially in the month of Spooktober? Yeah. So that's not a bomb pod at gmail.com, or you can head over to not a bomb podcast, hit the contact us button. Or you can look us up on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Awesome. So uh, you are going to end up on another show this week, right? Yes. So I was on Watch Watch Skip Plus with Sammy from the GGTMC. We talked The Creator. Um, If you're listening to this, that episode uh, will be out shortly or is already out. They release on Thursdays. We'll probably release this one maybe Thursday this week. Uh, but anyway, uh, you can hear that. So go over to, to watch Skip Plus. Listen to us talk about the creator. Awesome. Yeah. I uh, A Brad-ass movie is what that is. A Brad-ass movie? Yeah. It's it's a Brad movie. For okay. Sure. All right. I'm super curious to see it. Don't know when I'm going to squeeze it in. Um, I, is it, it, Let me ask you this. Do I have to see it on the big screen or? Oh, well, if you're going to see it, you have to see it on this big screen. Really? Yes. Okay. So, okay. Well, now and I guess. also, Troy, I will see you in real life in like four days. Oh yeah, that's right. I fly out yeah. tomorrow. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah. yeah. We're going to watch May together, right? We are. We're actually going to watch the film this week together. We won't be able to record together just because of scheduling. Cause I got to get back home, but uh, yeah, that's going to be fun. Um, what other podcasts and shows should people be listening to? And remember you better not leave one off. Cause you keep leaving that one off and you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> I don't, totally did. Okay. You did. Uh, oh, Brad, come on. <laughs> that's gentlemen's guide to midnight cinema. Watch skip plus the VHS files night of the living podcast. Backlook cinema podcast. Welcome back. Zoe, the mixtape podcast and Raiders of the podcast. You can say the last one. And now for something a little bit different YouTube. Channel. Oh, and now for something a little bit different YouTube channel. Thank you. Got to write Troy. it down, buddy. Well, I have a list on our website, so I'll, I'll, I just need to add that. Add that to okay. the website. Put a link out there so people can find it. Okay. I will do. All right. Um, 
enough public yelling at Brad for missing it yet again. Hey, you're, you're staying at my house, so you better be nice. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, are we getting dominoes again? <laughs> I'm not. We kind of have to, right? Like, we, we, I, I feel like, like that's our thing. Yeah. Like, because yeah. uh, for Christmas, I'm just getting you a Domino's gift card. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. What else? Are we all done? I think we are. Okay. I don't know if you're listening in the morning, afternoon, or evening. Thanks for downloading the show. I'm hoping that you are just, you kicked off spooky season, right? And you're watching some really scary stuff. I hope you watch this film, but definitely watch May so that when we come back next week um, and we spoil it, like there's no surprises, right? So uh, we'll catch you then. Don't lose your head. 